I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay. Last we talked about Theros, uh, I had begun doing my card-by-card stories, and I had gotten up to A, which means today we get to go to B. Exciting. <laughs> um, so if those are unaware, normally when I do my, um, my design stories, I'll talk about the design, and at the end, I've started doing card-by-card stories. Uh, and the reason I do that is, um, A, I have a lot of interesting stories to tell that has to do with the cards, and B, it lets me sort of catch some stuff I might have forgotten about and just round things out. So anyway, we're going to start with B, and the first card to talk about is Bident of Thassa. Okay, so two things. First off, one of the funny stories was, um, so uh, Poseidon, you know, uh, you know, god of the oceans, um, had a trident, a very famous object, probably of all the objects uh, of Greek mythology. It's one of the more famous, you know, the, the trident of Poseidon. Um, and I think the creative team was trying to mix it up a little bit. You know, they wanted a seafaring thing, but rather than a trident, they decided to have a bident. So a bident is a trident, but with two prongs rather than three. The problem is, trident is a pretty well-known, famous thing. And a bident, not so much. So every time it would come up, the following, this would happen every time, is... You know, I would say, oh, it's the Bident of Thassa. And, and the person would go, what? The Bident? What's that? Like a trident, but a, but a Bident. And then they go, oh. <laughs> and uh, it's just funny that, uh, it, like, for some reason in your brain, even though, you know, tricycle, bicycle, buys two, tries three, people get that. For some reason, uh, a Bident as being a two-pronged trident uh, was never obvious to people. And so, anyway. Uh, so I thought I'd use the Bident to talk about how we ended up with enchantment artifacts. Um, when I get to the Spear of Heliod, I'll explain how we got these things in the first place. But this story is more like, okay, we're going to do them. We have the weapons of the gods, you know. And a written, now, if you had asked me before the whole thing began, if I was going to make enchantment artifacts, I would have said no. I, and probably emphatically no. And, and, if, and I would have said, oh, that's, that, that's dumb. Why would you make enchantment artifacts? Um, it doesn't even make any sense. Um, but, and this is how, this is how design works, how you get to places that you don't think you'll get to, um, was we had, with the enchantment creatures, really established that enchantments were the gods and the creations of the gods. You know, that the, that the gods have, you know, all the enchantment creatures are creations of the gods, so the things that God creates are enchantments. That, that the way it represents the influence and touch of the gods is enchantments. Okay, well... Didn't the gods make their own weapons? I mean, someone else didn't make the weapons of the gods, did they? Didn't, like, find them on, 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 lying on the ground or something? Like, the gods made them. Well, if the gods made them, then aren't they enchantments? Uh, it's like, well, yeah, according to the rules we've laid out, they are. Well, aren't they artifacts? Well, pretty much they're defined as artifacts. They're, they're weapons, and they're, you know... Uh, so, yeah, uh, they're artifacts. So aren't they enchantment artifacts? Um... I remember we had this design meeting where somebody brought this up. I forget who, but uh, and they like as they're walking, they're like, "Isn't this true? Isn't this true?" It's like I feel like I was in court, you know. Therefore, your honor, I say it's an enchantment artifact, and you know it's like, oh, I could not defeat the, the I, I could not refute the logic. The logic was very tight. Um, so it became they became enchantment artifacts. Um, <coughs> and once again, like I said, the the reason I was okay with it is the enchantmentness meant something and the artifactness meant something. Now, be aware that one of the things I was very adamant about um, was whenever you have cross-pollination of two different card types, I want to make sure that both card types come through. Um, like Lucent Limited, one of my big issues with it was a creature, but it didn't feel like an enchantment. 
Um, so I wanted to make sure these things were both enchantments and artifacts. Um, and so if you notice in the design that they have both a, a, a static ability, much like uh, that you can, you can activate, um, and then there's an ability that's just there. And so the idea is um, one of them is more... In, uh, the, the activated one with the colored man is more enchantment-y, and, and the other one is more artifact-y. Um, so anyway, uh, we, we wanted to make sure that they, they, they both had that feel. Um, and one of the things that's nice about them is, even if you don't have the colored mana um, to activate them, you still, I mean, you need the colored mana to cast them, but you, 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 there is an effect that happens without you spending extra mana to make it happen. Um, but anyway, I, I enjoyed how the God's Equipment came out. Oh! Um, I keep calling them equipment. So, originally, by the way, they were equipment. Originally, when we handed over the file, it was um, artifact, enchantment artifact-equipment. Um, and the problem was, when we turned them over, uh, development went to talk to creative, and creative said, oh, th- these are one-of-a-kind items. There's not, there's not many spears of Heliod. There's a spear of Heliod. Um, and so what they did is, they said, you, you have to make them legendary. There's only one. So then Eric had a problem in which legendary enchantment artifact, you know, uh, hyphen equipment didn't fit on the card. And so he looked it over. He said, well, creative says they're legendary, and they're clearly artifacts. And by Mark's rules about the gods, they're clearly enchantments. I guess they're not equipment then. Um, And we decided that, you know, these are such whole, you know, powerful things that maybe only a planeswalker can wield them. You can't give them to your minions. You must use them. That's how powerful they are. Um, oh, the other thing, by the way, is they all had names. People ask this. Like, the Spirit of Heliod, I don't, I don't know the name on top of my head, but the Spirit of Heliod has a name. You know, like Mjolnir is uh, the Thor of Hammer. Um, see, that one I know. Um, so, why didn't we put the names on it? And the answer was, we did! And they didn't fit. Um, and what we realized was that if we just called it by its name, you wouldn't know what it was. But if we say Spear of Heliod, you get, oh, this is Heliod Spear. So, we went with a more generic name so you would understand what they were. Um, but for, for those, for those who, uh, are in the know, they do have names, and, you know, uh, if you want to refer to them as that, you, you can, although a lot of people might not know what you're talking about. Okay, next, um, Boon Seder. Okay, so I'm going to use Boon Seder to talk about, a, a, a different concept. So, uh, Boon Seder is, I think it's a 4-2, um, creature with, uh, with um, bestow, uh, and uh, and it's got flash, I believe. Um, so the the thing that is um, one of the things that is interesting is when we one of the things that we need to do, and development encourages us to do this, um, is when we hand over a file, we figure out where you know design has to figure out where we want to push things, what colors are doing such and such. Now design more controls limited because we're controlling numbers and rarities and. You know, so we have a lot of control over limited. But in constructed, it only takes one good card to really put something somewhere. And so, development is a lot of control over constructed. Since design doesn't handle costs, we have no impact. I mean, we have an impact in that we do things that development then follows up. But we have no direct like we don't cause a particular thing to be in a particular place other than we'll choose number and choose color. So it's interesting that the. Um, that Bestow um, is in an interesting place where, for Limited, it ended up getting pushed in white and black, which means that there are more white and black creatures that have Bestow, and for Limited purposes, they're a little bit stronger. So if you're going to play Bestow, odds are you have white or black in your deck. I mean, 
there are good bestow creatures in all the colors because bestow is spread to all five colors. But it's there's more good ones and, and more of them in white and black. So in limited, if you're going to play a very very heavy bestow deck, odds are that you're pushed toward white black. But in constructed. Um, so one of the things that development does is whenever we make a new mechanic, they can, if able, and sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't, try to make a, an honest push in new mechanics in Constructed. And the idea is, here's some new stuff, it's fun, you know, let's try to push one or two, at least one or two, to try to see if we can become a Constructed thing. And Boon Seder was their push, uh, or one of their pushes, for Constructed for Bestow. So it's interesting to note that the Constructed push was in green, where the limited push was in white and black. And that sometimes, sometimes they line up and sometimes they don't. Um, where they tend to line up is, most often is where we isolate them to two colors. For example, in Ravnica and Return of Ravnica, you know, an Azorius mechanic is white-blue. It's not going to be anything but white or blue. And if they're going to push it, well, it's going to be in white or blue. It's the only place it is. Um, so in those cases, design is dictating constructed in the sense that it's limited to certain colors. Um, like I explained earlier, because of the nature of Theros, that we needed to spread stuff out a little more, that we concentrated things... Well, let me talk about this real quickly. I, I mentioned this in my, my previous thing. So I, I talked about how we took Heroic, and Heroic was concentrated in white and black. Um, I just mentioned Bestow was concentrated in white. I'm sorry. Uh, Heroic was concentrated in white and blue. Uh, um, Bestow was concentrated in white and black. Monstrous, the monsters were um, concentrated in green and red. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that when I get to one of my monsters. Uh, and um, what's left? Uh, Devotion uh, and, and Limited was concentrated in green and black. Um, so that every color had access to something in limited. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about these as I get to relevant cards. Next is Bow of Nylea. Okay, so the Bow of Nylea, one of the things that happened was when we originally made the equipment and we turned them over, um, the gods weren't quite done yet. Um, we, had, we had taken a stab at them, and when I, get, when I get to one of the gods, I'll talk about the creation of the gods, but we had taken a stab at them, but uh, we ended up coming back, and then design did another another take on them afterwards, and development tweaked what we did, and there was a lot of work on the gods. As a such, since the gods were changing, it was important to us that the weapons of the gods work well with the gods. You know, if you have the hammer of Porphyros and Porphyros, hey, that should work together well. Or you have the spear of Heliod and Heliod, they should work well together. The, the gods should work well with their equipment, that we wanted synergy. So one of the things that happens during development is we'll create what we call mini-teams, which uh, they're mini design teams. And the idea is that we'll, we'll take a problem, usually one isolated problem, and then put together a team. And that team will meet for usually just a week or two weeks, not too long, uh, sometimes a little longer if it's a bigger project, but and hammer out sort of, you know, a, it's a team that like their only dedication is one problem, so they're very hyper-focused on that problem. So um, Eric made a design team for the gods and their equipment. Uh, and really what it was is to fine-tune the gods and fine-tune the equipment so they line them up and make them all work. Um, I don't remember the whole team. I know Eric was on the design team. I was on the design team. Uh, Aaron Forsett was on the design team. Um, so both and Leo was made by Aaron. I think what happened was um, I work at home on Fridays, and they had a meeting on Fridays, and I think they pulled Aaron into the meeting since I was out. Um, and Aaron came up with the Bow of Nylea. So the Bow of Nylea is supposed to represent... People are like, why are there four abilities? What's supposed to, She's the god of the hunt. Uh, and, and of the seasons, and so they're supposed to rep four seasonal abilities. So the best of my ability, here's our, here are what the four seasonal abilities are. Because people are like, what? I don't get it. Um, so first we have plus one, plus one. Well, that is growth. That's spring. And representative of the growth and things growing and things getting stronger. Um, next is two damage to a flyer. Well, that's summer. Because summer is the time of the hunt. Uh, and she, you know, she's an archer and 
uh, very much you want to hunt and, and take down things. Um, three life is autumn. That's the harvest. Um, because in the summer, you know, especially in, in ancient Greece, the, 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 the fall is very important for gathering the food that you're going to use to last through the winter. Uh, and then taking cards from the grave and putting them on the bottom of your library was winter, sort of hibernation. Um, and so anyway, that's the flavor that the Bow of Nylea is supposed to represent the four seasons. Um, I know, I, I like it. I mean, I think from time to time it's fun to do stuff like that. The card's a rare card. Um, I think it's okay to make people sort of go, what, every once in a while. And then when you find out that there's actually some planning to it, I think it's kind of cool. But anyway, for those who want to know the Bow of Nylea, there you go. Next, the Breaching Hippocamp. Um, the only reason I bring this one up is, is just as a funny story, which is um, Ethan Fleischer was on the team, and before the thing began, I explained that I hadn't put together a document of things. Uh, basically, the document was what has magic done that could be done in Greek mythology world, and what is what would make sense in the Greek mythology world that magic hasn't done. And so, the first we had done a lot of it. You know, I mean, literally, if you just walk through magic. I mean, from Gorgons to Pegasus to Cyclops to Centaurs to Hydras to, I mean, on and on and on. I mean, we, there's, there's lots of mythological things throughout magic. Um, but one of the things that uh, Ethan was very interesting in is, what hasn't magic done? What is a good staple, you know, Greek myth- mythological creature that hasn't done? And then uh, Ethan had a small list of ones that he wanted, and then he worked really hard to get those in the set. So one of them was the Hippocamp. Now, the hippocamp, if I remember correctly, is like half horse, half fish. The Greeks, by the way, they love mixing and matching their animals. It's half this, half that. It's part this, part that. So the hippocamp, I don't know why you would mix a horse and a fish, um, other than the... I don't know. I don't know why you would mix a horse and a fish. It seems like a very uh, quirky combination. But the Greeks, they, uh, they were not one to shy away from their animal mixes. So anyway... Uh, Ethan was looking for a hippocamp, and every time we'd come up with something that he felt could be a hippocamp, he would make it a hippocamp. Because um, he was a, I, he was my strong second. He was in charge of the file. So when we would make something, I would, I would let Ethan sort of concept it uh, developmentally, I mean, design-wise, meaning he would make it something. And then later on, Jenna, who did the actual card concepting, if she felt Ethan had gone the wrong way or something, could reconcept. But Ethan was trying to sort of, you know, fill in Greek mythology as we went along. Um, and so since he was controlling the file... Um, you know, if, if, sometimes in meetings I would name something or I would say I, it needs to be such and such and I would dictate what it was. But if I, di- if I didn't dictate what it was, meaning I left it up to Ethan, he would try to fill in his little chart of uh, mythological creatures we hadn't done yet. Uh, and I know at the slideshow, because Hippocamp was all over the place. He'd make Hippocamp and then we'd kill the car. I mean, not because it was a Hippocamp, but, you know, just cards, there's ebb and flow. And for the longest time he just couldn't keep a Hippocamp in the file. So I know at the slideshow when he finally saw the Hippocamp, he, like, applauded. Like, oh, I did it! There's a hippocamp in magic! Bronze Sable. Okay, the funny story about Bronze Sable is we knew we wanted an artifact creature, and we knew we wanted an artifact, like a... We knew we wanted a bronze statue of an animal that came to life. We knew we wanted that. But one of the big questions is, what animal? And so I remember... I remember what, what, it kept changing in the file because we kept coming up with different animals and they were tend to be silly animals but we were trying like what kind of animal they make a statue out of in, in ancient Greece um, and in the end I believe uh, Jen had made it a sable because um, there's sables there I, uh, I do know that the, the card had lots of, lots of names during the course of design and uh, you know it, it, I think for a while it was bronze weasel that's the one that, that uh, or no was it bronze ferret might have been bronze ferret 
It was some form of in the weasel family. Okay, next. Calvary Pegasus. Um, so originally, so this, this is a good example of um, development fine t- tweaking things. Um, so when we made it in the file originally, it said when this, when this attacks, um, target creature, another target creature gains flying. And the idea is, oh, this, you know, this creature can climb aboard the Pegasus, and then it, it also flies. Um, meanwhile, um, as development was trying to figure out the set, they realized that there was a little bit of a human theme. And so they were looking for just a few places to have humans matter just a little bit, not tons. Um, and I think somebody pointed out that, well, can anything ride the Pegasus? I mean, can an elephant get on top of the Pegasus? You know, and so they realized that flavor-wise, you know, in the stories, you tend to see the humans riding the Pegasus. They go, oh, okay, well, we were looking for a human-centric card, and flavor-wise, it makes more sense that it gives humans ride rather than just anybody. Um, and also... The other thing it did, which is interesting, is it depowered the card a little bit because humans just aren't that big. So if you say humans... Now, if anything can be unblockable, you could just take your giant beast and make it unblockable. Take your monster and make it unblockable. Um, and so I think it was a combination of they didn't want that gameplay and they wanted more human matters. So it was sort of like, you know, two birds, one stone. Um, they, they, they've managed to solve two problems with one solution. Um, and then we ended up with, with the, uh, the Calvary Pegasus, which, which is a cool card. Um, Cent- Centaur Battlemaster. Okay, so this is the gr- green creature that is heroic that gets three plus one plus one counters. Starts as a three three. Um, so one of the things that we did when we were trying to separate our heroic was to try to give each color a real identity. Um, and so one of the things that we wanted to do is we want one of them to be the growing color. Um, and we decided that green being the growing color uh, was a good place. And so the idea of the green is, you know, a lot of it's it's got a couple of key ones, especially. Um, there's a, this one, the one that does two plus one counters, where, you know, the key of a heroic is, look, you just got to do once or twice, and it gets pretty big. This guy, like, he's a 3-3, three, three, you know, target him once. In fact, put a, put an aura on him. Like, let's say I just put a plus two plus two aura on him. All of a sudden, he's an 8-8 eight, eight with, with, with whatever ability that, you know, like, plus two plus two in lifelink, and he's an 8-8 eight, eight lifelinker. Like, wow, bam. Um, and so one of the things about Heroic that we wanted to do is we wanted a couple creatures that just said, look, just once, just one time. If you one time can Heroic me, you'll be happy. Um, and so that's where the card came from. It's just, you know, we wanted to make sure that there was some stuff where, like, you know, it's fun sometimes to be a Heroic a lot, and we had cards that definitely make you want a Heroic a lot. But this was a card where, like, I mean, not that, not that this card is upset if you Heroic more than once, but it can make you happy with only one Heroic. It doesn't necessarily need to have multiples to, to make you excited. Um, sometimes what we call a combo of one. Uh, well, I mean, combo of two, but that it, it pretty much it just needed one thing and they hooked up. Next, Chain to the Rocks. Okay, so the way this card came to be is um, one of the things I did during Innistrad, so Jenna was my creative rep on Innistrad. I had her back on Theros. And one of the things I had her do during Innistrad that worked out really well, really well, um, was she would come up with names of cards. Just like, here's a good card name that fits this world. And then we, in the, in the design meeting, would match it. What, what does that mean? So one of the abilities she came up to was chained to a rock. Now, for those who don't know, uh, in the... Uh, I keep on saying Pythagoras, but no, no, it's not Pythagoras. Uh, it is um, Prometheus. Um, Pythagoras made uh, mathematical equations. He actually existed. Prometheus was a titan who gave fire to the humans. And who, I think, mythologically might have made the humans in the first place? Uh, anyway... Um, he gives fire to the humans, upsets the gods, the gods torture him, and the torture is they chain him to a rock, and they have an eagle, 
tear out his liver every day. And then it grows back, and every day he tears out his liver again. Um, until, I guess, Hercules eventually frees him. Um, anyway, uh, so she had come up with Chain to the Rock. Chain to a Rock was the name of the card originally. Um, and so we're like, okay, what does this card do? And we're like, um, it seems like it's some kind of imprisonment. So we're like, okay, well, maybe we could do um, some form of a, uh, you know, Oblivion Ring type card, right? It, that I, um, one of the things that White is real good is what I call Answers with Answers, which is I can answer your, an- your, your, your threat, but my answer could be answered, meaning, you know, as long as this is in play, your guy is, can't attack or is removed. Um, and so we knew we wanted the card either to be, you know, a pacifism arrest variant or be a, um, a Oblivion Ring variant. We weren't quite sure. Um, I think we were leaning toward Oblivion Ring because we hadn't had one. We kind of wanted one. Um, and then somebody in the meeting, I don't know who came up with this, said, well, what if it was, you know, Enchant Mountain? And we were like, you can tell when someone has a great idea, everybody's eyes in the room just laid up and we're like, done. Um, now, originally, by the way, it was any mountain. It wasn't your mountain. It was just a mountain. Um, and so it ended up being a very good sideboard card of white against red. Um, what happened in development, though, was it was too good. It was so good that it was causing people to choose not to play red. Uh, and that was not the intent. The intent was not to be a super color hoser. The, the event was. So what it ended up being was kind of like, if I'm playing white, well, I need to have red. It's for the white-red deck. Now, um, we like to have cards that sort of push in certain directions. and So it's, in some ways, it's a white-red card. I mean, you need a mountain to make it work. Um, in Constructed, there are ways to get a mountain without actually... Um, you know, pain, uh, not pain lands, uh, uh, lands from, uh, from Ravnica, Ravnica lands. Um, so there are ways to get planes without actually having to rid stuff in your deck. Um, but anyway, we made that card, and the same meeting we also made Rescue from the Underworld, and I loved both those cards. In fact, they're my two favorite cards in the set. And I remember saying in the meeting, like, guys, like, before we left, I said, okay, see these two cards? These are the cards. This is what I want. This is what the set needs to be. If we can make cards like this, we will succeed. Um, and I was very, very happy. And it really went, in a lot of ways, this card, uh, the other were the guiding principle that sort of steered us in the right direction. Um, oh, one last thing. So the card, the card, actual card is called Chained to the Rocks. Why? Why was it chained to a rock to change the rocks? I asked. I don't know. Um, it, it's something like that... Uh, he probably wasn't tied to a singular rock, but a, uh, like a mountain, which would be a bunch of rocks. And anyway, they're both good names. I, I, but it's one of those things where I was really used to the name, and it almost stayed. It's like I still sometimes call it "chain to a rock," and then people are like, uh, "You mean chain to the rocks?" I'm like, "Well, um, anyway, uh, I, I, it's a fun card." And uh, oh, the other thing that's interesting is when we first made it, it was common, uh, and it was really, really good. So we moved it up to uncommon because it was, it was, it was too good for limited. And then it turned out it was still too good for limited, and development moved it up to rare. Because um, they liked the card, they wanted it to be good, but they didn't want it to warp limited, um, and so it got moved up to rare. Um, yeah, people often ask, by the way, um, one of the roles of rare, um, the rare, the rare rarity, is there are things that cause problems in limited. And when things cause problems in limited, what we do is we put them in rare, mythic rare, to make them not happen as much in limited. But if the card is for somebody, we have to put it somewhere. Meaning, if we want to do the card, um, and, and the point is not for limited, you know, we want to do the card, then it has to go in rare and mythic rare. And I know there's a lot of cases where 
there's some card that is a bomb in limited. Like, why'd you make this card? Like, well, if you see it in rare or mythic rare, it was not made for limited. We had, you know, at best we understood it, it impacted limited, and we moved it out of, you know, common uncommon to minimize its effect on on limited. But look, we make cards for many reasons, and if a card has a reason to be made, it will be made. And that, you know, just because a card impacts unlimited, you know, we're not going to take a card that we think somebody will really like, you know, that that's for somebody else, and not make it because it'll it'll mess up limited. We just will we will restrict how much it gets in limited by changing its rarity. Um, but there are lots of ways to play Magic and lots of different audiences to Magic. And so, you know, there are cards that, like, yeah, maybe they're bombs and limited, but they're also making someone else happy somewhere else. And, you know, that's something... Magic is a game for many people and many players, and we have to make sure that every single set is for every single member. Uh, and that is tricky. That's probably one of the hardest things about Magic is... Uh, I say this all the time. Magic's not really one game. It's many games. And every time we design for it, we have to design for... At least for Corset. Uh, that Corset's... Um, normal expansions. Um, supplemental products we can aim a little bit that are more for specific subsets and we try to shift around so that different subsets eventually get a supplemental product. But the main, the main you know, booster expansions, we've got to make sure that everybody can have them. That's important. Okay, next I have Chronicler of Heroes. Um, oh, okay. So Chronicler of Heroes is an uncommon white-green card that um, you get to draw a card for every creature you haven't played with a plus one, plus one counter. So this is a good example of something we do in design, and this card might have been made in development, but something design does and development does, um, is um, one of the things that we really like to do is to um, make cards that help define uh, draft archetypes. So for example, there's an archetype that we made uh, where you draft white and green cards. It has a lot of heroic. You beef up your, your, your creatures. Um, so a lot of them get bigger, and a lot of them have plus one, plus one counters on them. And so the idea was, um, there's an uncommon cycle of gold cards in Theros, and the role of that cycle was to encourage you to go down these different paths. And so we figured out each of the ten paths, um, and then there's cards to encourage those paths. Um, actually, is there an enemy cycle? There sure is an ally cycle. I think there's an enemy cycle. Um, okay, so this is white-green. So what we, what this card, the role of this card is to say, if I open up this card in pack one, um, it was pack one, pick one, and I see it, I go, oh, okay... I see, I want to go white-green, and I want things that are plus one, plus one counters. Well, it's co- coincidentally, that's exactly what that deck wants to do. And so, it just is something that encourages you to sort of build around. Um, so I talked about the role of rarity. One of these days, I will, I will do a rarity podcast. Um, one of the roles on Uncommons is to provide guidance for, for drafting. Uh, and the reason Uncommon does that is, you have no rare cards to show up very infrequently. But Uncommon cards show up in some regularity. What that means is, you won't see them every draft, but you'll see them, you know, every third draft maybe, uh, maybe every second draft, depending on uh, the size of the set. Um, but, but the thing about it is that uh, we really want to be able to do some cards that sort of send you down interesting paths, because one of the neat things is if you get a certain card early enough, you might, it, might, it alone might encourage you to do some strategy, and so... Um, we sometimes make uncommons that push down traditional strategies that we want you, and then every once in a while we'll make ones that go, oh, this is special, you know, here's a special thing you could try to do. Um, and, um, like an Innistrad, I'm going to play with the card name. The Innistrad has a green card where you get, um, you get the one-two spiders um, based on creatures in your graveyard. Uh, and uh, Spider spawning? Spider spawning. Uh, and that was made to uh, enable a green-blue strategy that we had built in the set. Um, and the idea was, here's something fun you can do. And um, that 
you know, if you get this card early, hey, here's a strategy, here's a plan, here's, here's a thing you could do. Uh, and drafters really like those cards, and so it's something that I've been, I've been working hard to try to encourage because, uh, you know, we really do like to have, um, we, we want to make sure that, I mean, drafting is yet another way to play the game, and that part of making a good draft environment is giving the tools for drafters to do fun things. Um, both to have certain paths they can go down and to have special one-of things that they can try if you know, the stars align. Okay, so I managed to get through the entire first column of my first sheet. So, um, holy moly, we got lots to talk about. Anyway, I hope you guys are enjoying this, and uh, it's fun. I like talking about Theros. Um, like I said, this is a big experiment to see what happens if I talk about something recent. The big, big plus is I know so much about it, and I have a lot to say, uh, so there's lots to talk about. Um, hopefully it's not also a downside. So I hope you're enjoying uh, the, the, ever, uh, the ever-ongoing Theros podcast. But anyway, I'm now at work. I see the wizard sign in the wizard's building. And while I love to talk about Theros, and I love talking about all the magic that I've made, it's time for me to be making magic. Talk to you guys next time.